So I recently had a very bad parenting moment. Uh, we have this really big, heavy floor mirror that sits on our, on our bedroom floor, and my daughter, who's four, was, uh, she walked up to it and she reached for it and grabbed it and started to pull it toward herself, um, and, and it started to tip, and so I just lunged at her and yelled, Ember, what are you doing? And grabbed it, and she immediately let go, and it, it scared her, and so she started to cry. She started to sob badly. I'd frightened her with my voice, and so I had to sit down, and apologize to her and just say, babe, I'm so sorry. You know, mommy, mommy lost her temper and I'm so sorry. And I'm sure there was a better way that I could have dealt with that situation. But at the moment, all I could see was this enormous glass mirror about to crush my little daughter to, to bits. And of course it would probably break and cut her up too. So, so, uh, so what came out of me was yelling because I was terrified. Not because I didn't love her, but because I loved her so much. I didn't want her to get hurt. We're picking up today in chapter four in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And just to recap, again, Paul writes this letter to a group of churches in Galatia because of these divisions within the church along ethnic lines. Most of these Galatian Christians are Gentiles, non-Jewish believers in Christianity. And, 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 and there are these false teachers who have come in and said, listen, you, you know, Jesus got you into the kingdom, but to stay in the kingdom, you have to now obey the law. All of the Jewish law, the moral, the ceremonial, the, the social law, you have to get circumcised, you have to avoid certain foods, etc. In, in other words, all you Gentiles, all you Gentiles, you have to become Jewish in order to be fully acceptable to God. And Paul has adamantly opposed this bad theology. He says, no, this isn't the gospel, that, that Jesus plus anything else is not in fact the gospel, and so, so Paul can get quite sharp at points in this letter. He's gonna get quite sharp in, in, in the section we're about to read, and it's important, I think, to understand why. Paul isn't writing this to punish them with guilt. He's not writing this to harass them or embarrass them or, or, or because he wants them to be ashamed. He's writing because he, his heart is breaking for them. He's afraid they're gonna get hurt. In the section just before what we're reading today, verse 19, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. See, when Paul came and when he preached the good news to the Galatians, the Galatians got free. They got freedom in the gospel, but now these false teachers have come in and they're talking them back into slavery. They're turning back to the law and Paul knows they're gonna get crushed under the weight of it. So he gets quite sharp because he doesn't wanna see them get hurt. I mean, why do, why do moms get angry when their kids run out into traffic? It's not because they don't love the kids, it's because they love them so much. They don't want them to get hurt. Paul doesn't wanna see his children get crushed. So let's take a look at Paul's latest appeal. If you have your Bibles, we're looking at Galatians chapter four, beginning in verse 21, or you can just listen as I read. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. So first things first, to understand this passage, we, we have to, in some sense, understand Paul's audience. He keeps using this example of Abraham, right? This example of Abraham, because to these false teachers, being a child of Abraham was a very, very big deal. And the teachers are leveraging that, that Abrahamic parentage against these Gentile believers to make them turn back to the law. They're saying, look, we've been following the law for hundreds and hundreds of years. We've been doing the washing and the food and the circumcision. We're children of Abraham. The covenant was given to us and you guys think you can just saunter into the kingdom of God without paying your dues? I don't think so. You better shape up. 
You better start to obey the law because maybe then that will make up for you not really being children of Abraham because of course we know that you're not. Being a child of Abraham was a big deal to them. And to help us understand why, I'm gonna give you just a, just a two minute Cliff's Notes version of the book of Genesis. I know that sounds boring. Hang in there with me, this will help. So in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve and all of the beautiful creation which he gives to them. And the only stipulation was that they not do this one thing. But then the devil tempts them and they do this one thing. And through that sin, suffering and death enter the world. And so they, they populate the earth with people, but people just have a terribly hard time living in harmony with God because they keep doing versions of this one thing and it's separating them from God. So, so to help the people find their way back to him, God chooses Israel, that's, that's Abraham's descendants through Isaac and Jacob. He chooses Israel to help lead the people back to God by acting as an example. Not because they were better than anybody, but because God wants to use them as an example, a display people to demonstrate that living in covenant community with God leads to blessedness. So, so Israel's chosen and God gives her a mission, live lives that are set apart by holiness and love. That's, that's their job, live lives that are so attractive, so full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that, that so different right, from the dog-eat-dog -dog world that they live in that the rest of the world will look at them and they'll wanna know the God that they live that way for. Israel, their job, was to make people curious about God. And to help them do this, God says, here, here's my law. If you follow these guidelines, if you do all this stuff, it will ensure that you are set apart. It will ensure that you do look different from the rest of the world by the way you live and by the way that you love and the rest of the world will see you and they'll wanna know me. That's your job. Make the world curious about me. It's a terrible summary of the book of Genesis for you. So the Israelites, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been God's chosen people for, for 15, 1600 years. And the law in many ways was what set them apart as chosen. That's what it meant for them to be children of Abraham. It meant we are God's chosen people. We're, gonna, we're the ones who are gonna follow God's law. God is gonna use us to bring about change in this terrible world and make it better. That's what it meant to them. And of course, hundreds of years of being the chosen ones is a hard identity to lay down, which is essentially what these Jewish teachers are being asked to do. Because now that Jesus has come, not just the Jews, but now the Gentiles, the ethnically not chosen ones, are now children of God. They're the people of God. And that would have been a hard thing for them to grasp. I, th I think these teachers, I think they actually did believe that God loved the Gentiles, that God had chosen the Gentiles too, but they believed that the Jews were still just, just a little bit more chosen because we've been following the law for years and, and didn't that mean something? I mean, didn't that get us some, some bonus points, some, some bonus chosenness? And it was hard to let go of. It's hard to let go of what was even if what's coming is actually better. My daughter's gonna be five in June and uh, this year, she finally gave up almost all of the adorable baby talk that she used to use. For example, her first fruit was blueberries, and we stuck with blueberries for a while, so by the time we actually introduced strawberries, she called them straw blueberries. Mommy, can I have some straw blueberries? And it was, we didn't correct it, because it was adorable. I was real sad the day that she asked me for a strawberry for the first time. She also called her, she calls her toes pitties, and this is because uh, you know we called them piggy toes, and then that morphed, of course, into piggies, and then that morphed into pities. And of course, we didn't correct that either because it's adorable. <laughs> um, and then a few weeks ago, I pick her up from daycare, and she is just in tears. 
And so I get her into the car, I'm like, babe, what, what happened? And she goes, mommy, at school there was a boy and he stomped on my, on my toes and, and it wasn't an accident, mommy. He did it on purpose. He stomped my toes on purpose. And I said, what boy would dare what boy would dare tell you those are called toes? Those are called pities, young lady. That's not what I said. But I wanted to in my heart. It's hard to give up what was. Is it better for her to know that they're actually called toes? Yes, of course. But I miss her itty bitty pities. They're adorable. It's hard to give up what was. So I think we can't get too judgy you know, with these first century teachers because this was a very serious break with the last several hundred years of their identity. They were God's chosen people and that was good. What was, was good. But Paul's saying what is now is even better. The kingdom is expanding. You've gotta let go of what was. God has something better. But some of them were just simply not willing to do it. They weren't willing to let in these new people without any credentials. So Paul says, okay, you wanna be under the law? Verse 21, you who wanna be under the law, let's talk about what it says. You wanna be children of Abraham? Okay, let's talk about what it says. There were two children of Abraham, two sons, two children related to Abraham. We find this story in Genesis 16 and 21. So much Old Testament today, you guys are so lucky. Abraham's an old man, right? And and his wife is old too, and God says, I'm gonna make your descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. I'm gonna bring salvation through your seed. All nations will be blessed through you. And they they waited for God to fulfill his promise. Years and years, 16 years they waited. And then finally, Sarah says, listen, I'm an old woman. I can't have kids, Abraham, but you can. So I have an idea. I'm gonna gonna give you my maidservant, my slave, Hagar. She's young and fertile. You can have a child through her. And in Abraham's day, this would have been totally legal. If if a woman couldn't conceive, then uh, the the wife could give the the female servant to her husband. And, And if that slave were to conceive, then that child would legally belong to the husband and wife. So... So that's what she says, I have this idea, this is what we're gonna do. And, and, and this might sound crazy, I mean, for us today, this is crazy, you would never give your wife a younger woman on purpose, I mean, hopefully, but, but we have to understand, you know, in Sarah's day, this, the barrenness was a mark of the curse of God, or it was thought to be a mark of the curse of God. I mean, people would have looked at her and said, well, you must be especially bad for God to withhold from you the only thing that women were really valued for in that day, which was making babies, making heirs. And so Sarah would have been as eager, if not more so, to have a child under any means necessary. So, so Abraham sleeps with Hagar, she conceives, they have a son named Ishmael. And this is not a miracle, right? This is not a miracle. It's not miraculous for a 90-year-old man to father a child with a, with a young, fertile woman. It's gross, but it's not miraculous. Abraham and Sarah were promised a miraculous child But when they'd waited for so long, they got scared that maybe it wasn't gonna happen and and they took matters into their own hands. They got that child through unmiraculous human effort, not through divine promise. That's how Ishmael was born. But we know, we know from the rest of the story that, that things started to go real sideways as a result of this human effort. Hagar mocks Sarah once she has her child and then Sarah starts to mistreat Hagar. And then Sarah actually does get pregnant with the promised child with Isaac and then he's born. And then Ishmael, who probably is sad because he's no longer the favored child, starts to mistreat Isaac. And so Sarah makes Abraham send Hagar and her son away. Abraham and Sarah make an absolute mess, make an absolute mess of their lives because they tried to achieve through human effort what God promised through divine power. 
And Paul says, I'm looking at these things figuratively. Verse 24, these things are being taken figuratively. These women represent two covenants. So in other words, they represent two very different ways of relating to God. Hagar represents the covenant at Sinai, the law, the striving to reach God through our own human effort. And so she bears children of slavery because any attempt to reach God or appease God through our own human effort is doomed to fail. It will put us in slavery to the demands of the law which we cannot meet, we are incapable of fulfilling. Verse 25, now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. He says, this woman, this woman and her slave children are the current Jerusalem. All you people, all you false teachers and all you people who, who are trying to get to God by your own works, you wanna be under the law? Do you know what it says? Because if you did, I don't think you'd wanna be under it. And this would have caught, it would have caught those Jewish teachers who were leveraging their status as children of Abraham against these believers because Paul's saying, sure, sure you might be children of Abraham. You might be children of Abraham, but not the ones you think you are, not the Isaacs. You're the Ishmaels. You're the Ishmaels, you're the children of slavery. You're the not the children of promise, you're the children of common, unextraordinary, unspectacular biology. You are the children of human effort and you're gonna be slaves to human effort your whole life. Don't do it, don't go back to that. And I think this has contemporary significance for us because, because maybe you identify with that frustration. Maybe, maybe you identify with it, not because you want everyone to get circumcised and give up bacon, nobody wants that, but maybe you've been following all the rules Maybe you've been following all the rules your whole life, even though it's cost you something and it feels unfair, it's not fair that, that people who haven't been following the rules should have the same standing with God that I do. I've been doing right and it's hard to do right. Listen, I love, I love that you've been trying to do it right. God cares that you've been trying to do it right. There's something very, very good about that, the law does much good in our lives, but Paul is saying there's one thing that the law cannot do. He's saying it over and over again. He's saying the law cannot save. It doesn't make us acceptable to God. And if we get frustrated, you know, because there's a girl in your small group living with her boyfriend, it makes you angry. If we, if we get angry at other people who are, who are breaking all the rules and still expecting to get to heaven just because they believe in Jesus, listen, Remember chapter three, that's not a love of the law, that's a hatred of it. That's a, that's a resentment for the law because you have to follow all the rules and so by God, everyone should have to also. If you're angry at them, you gotta check your heart, guys. Because that's, that's a mark of slavery. Your pride has become your master and it's making you a slave. Don't be a child of Hagar. Because I, I promise you, I promise if you've followed all the rules, you have already gained a great deal from the law not least of all because it's probably saved you from a world of evil and pain. Remember, Paul also calls the law our guardian. It's protected us. It's protected you. You think all those people who break the rules, you think they're out just out there living it up? Listen, I was one of those people. I was one of the people who broke all the rules and was it fun? Sometimes, sure. But in the wake of that fun came the ripple effects of fear and guilt and heartbreak and loneliness and desperation and self-loathing and shame because here's the thing, human effort works, sorta. 
it, it works. I'm doing it my own way, it works sometimes. Sometimes we get what we want, but here's what Hagar and Ishmael teach us. We never get what we want through human effort without consequences. Adam and Eve, they wanted knowledge when they decided to eat the forbidden fruit and it worked. They got knowledge, but with that knowledge, death. Abraham and Sarah wanted a son when they used Hagar and it worked, they got a son. But with that son, hundreds of years of enmity between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, the two sons always at war forever after. Because we don't ever pay attention to the fine print. We don't care. We download apps every day. We sign waivers that we've never read, terms of service we barely glance at. In 2010, there was this, this uh, online retail company called GameStation, and they added an immortal soul clause to their terms of service uh, as an April Fool's Day prank, which stated that anyone who bought something on their site that day would forfeit their soul to the company. Only 12% of users opted out. So that company gained about 8,000 souls that day. One of the symptoms of my rheumatoid arthritis is uh, uveitis. Occasionally my eyeballs swell and uh, makes my vision blurry. And my ex-rheumatologist, ex-rheumatologist, wanted to put me on this drug that's, uh, that would make that go away. And I started reading the brochure and in the fine print it says that one of the not so rare side effects is lymphoma, cancer. I think I'd rather have glasses. Thank you very much. That's, that, no, I don't want that, read the fine print. There's a drug I recently saw advertised uh, that, that treats male pattern baldness. And, uh, and you know, the whole commercial is like dapper men in their 50s walking confidently into bars, you know, looking like George Clooney with like a full head of salt and pepper hair. And, and then, but then they get to that part of the, part of the commercial where, where they have someone like speed read the fine print, right? And so the, so the guy's like, and the medication may cause development of breast tissue in men. What? <laughs> Wait a minute. So basically you're telling me that, that men, you can take this pill to grow back your hair and be attractive to women but that might be offset by the fact that you may begin to look a little bit like a woman yourself. I mean, will it work? Yes. Yes, you'll grow hair. You might get what you want, but not without a little something extra that you didn't know was in the contract. Sometimes getting what I want on my, uh, on my, my own way worked, but it never worked without consequences. I promise if you've been good to the law, the law has been good to you. If you knew the price, that people pay for breaking it, you wouldn't wish on them any extra punishment. The law is good, it's so good. It just doesn't save. So whether we're using human effort to gain the ultimate blessing of salvation or the immediate blessings of comfort and pleasure, we are not free when we rely on human effort alone. You understand what's happening here? Paul, Paul and the false teachers are both saying that there are three components in this formula, Jesus, the law, and salvation. They're saying something very similar, but the order is really important. Their order is different. The false teachers are saying Jesus plus obedience to the law equals salvation. If you get Jesus and you add obedience to the law, then you'll be saved. But Paul is saying, no, Jesus plus salvation equals obedience to the law. When you meet Jesus, when he saves you, when he saves your life, when you understand what his rescue of your soul has cost him, that's gonna make you want to obey the law. It's gonna make you wanna please him, not the other way around. 
The three components are the same, but guys, the order is life and death. Life and the freedom of the gospel or death under the curse of the law, you gotta get the order right. Human effort is not bad. Remember, uh, obeying the law, law obeying, is different than law relying. It's great to obey God's law, but reliance on it for salvation will put us right back into slavery. Paul's saying, don't do it. Human effort, human capability, human talent, none of these are bad, but all of these are a cheap substitute for divine power. And if there is one thing that Paul wants these young Christians to understand, it's that your ability to adhere to the law, even if that ability is strong, even if you're capable, even if you're spiritually fertile, it's not enough. It's not enough. And this is really good news. This is good news to every person who's ever tried to please God and failed. This is good news to every person who's ever made a vow to Jesus and they couldn't keep it. This is good news to Paul himself who would one day write the words, for I have the desire to do what is good but I cannot carry it out. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul uses this example of Sarah and Hagar, I think not just to illustrate to us that human effort won't get us what we want, not really, but also as a comfort, as a comfort to people, to every person who feels like they just don't have that much effort to give anymore. Because I know there's people here tonight, I know there's people in this room and you're sitting in these seats and it was everything that you could do just to drag yourself here and not even because you wanna be here but because you just, you didn't wanna fight with her about it. Or maybe you're the girl in the small group living with her boyfriend and, and you know they're judging you but, but you don't know how else to make it on your teacher's aid salary. Or maybe you're in 33rd and you're watching this video from behind bars and you've been trying, you've been trying but you still got back here. Or maybe you're only here because your parents are making you, because they caught you, and the thought of having to do more, to be more is exhausting to the point of despair, and you're thinking, God, I just don't have it in me. I just don't have anything more in me. Listen, people who don't have it in them are as close to God as any of us will ever be. Verse 27, for it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. You don't have to be fertile to produce fruit. You don't have to be physically fertile to produce children. Paul technically fathered no children, but ah, he had kids, didn't he? He had so many kids. He had more kids than the Van Dykes are gonna have, even if they keep up their current pace. He had children, he had, he had so many children. Every Galatian man, woman, and child reading this letter is a spiritual child of Paul. Yes, he had children. In God's economy, you don't have to be capable or fertile or gifted or super smart to do what God wants you to do because he's not gonna do it through your talent. He's gonna do it through his power. He doesn't need your talent. He wants it and he'll use it. But even if you had no talent to offer, he would still accomplish his plans for you just like he did for Sarah. She was 90 years old. Her womb was not the shining disco ball of a 20 year old. There was no more parties scheduled in there, guys, but she still had a baby. 
at 90. That wasn't her effort, that was God's power. You don't have to be fertile to bear fruit. You may have spent a lifetime as the biggest sinner in the room. You may be spiritually barren. You may be spiritually barren, and yet the moment you surrender to Jesus Christ, God can bring, bring fruit out of that barrenness. Now that's good news. That's good news to every one of us who doesn't have it in him. No matter what you messed up, no matter how little you have to offer, he can still bring fruit from your wasteland, and the only thing we have to have in us is him. Verse 28. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At the time the son was born according to the flesh, at that time the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It's the same now. What's he saying here? He's saying, in other words, Ishmael's will always persecute Isaac's. People who rely on, on human effort will always persecute people who rely on divine power. Verse 30, what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Ishmael's will always persecute Isaac's. People who rely on human effort will always persecute those who rely on divine power because the gospel is threatening to them. Just like these teachers of the law, these false teachers, it makes them feel less chosen. It undermines the foundation upon which they have built their identity and their relationship with God. And Paul's saying, you gotta get rid of that. You must get rid of that attitude from among you. It will make you a slave and I want you to be free. So I wanna leave us today with this question. Who is it that you're persecuting? Who is it that you personally are persecuting? It's probably someone. Is it the rule breakers? Don't be a child of Hagar, be free. Make sure you get the order right. Jesus plus salvation equals obedience. You gotta let go. You gotta let go of your bondage to the rules and then you will find that you no longer get so angry when other people let it go too. It won't make you angry anymore when they break the rules. It'll break your heart instead. And God can work with that. Are you persecuting the rule breakers? Or maybe you are persecuting the rule followers. I love to judge a judger, don't you? It's just so satisfying. Just, oh, you wanna judge me? Judge not lest you be judged, judger. There's a, there's a lady at my, at my daughter's daycare, a teacher at my daughter's daycare who judges me constantly. I'm sure of it. Every, every time I interact with her, she says something condescending that makes me feel like I don't know what's happening in my daughter's life. And I get so mad about it. And I go home and I complain to Rob. And I'm like, today, Miss So-and-so asked me if I knew that tonight was Ember's dance recital. Like, I don't know that tonight is my daughter's dance recital. Why does she hate me? And Rob's like, I don't know. Maybe because she spends 10 hours a day in a room of four-year-olds. And I'm like, oh, right. I'm a terrible person, I'm gonna go get her a Starbucks. Are you judging the judges? Guys, Jesus died for them too, right? Jesus died for them too. And, 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 and let's not forget, obedience is part of the equation, right? It's, it's, the order is important, but it is part of the equation. Jesus plus salvation equals obedience. An understanding of what God has done for us should produce in us a desire to please him, not because it saves us, but because we're grateful. It's out of gratitude that we're already saved. If obedience isn't present, it's important for us to make sure that we really understand those first two parts. Don't judge the judges. Even if, even if you do that, that will still make you a child of Hagar, be free. 
Or could it be that it is yourself that you're persecuting? Have you been avoiding God because you know that you're not living up to the mark? You're avoiding him because you know that you're not measuring up right now. Listen, you are clothed in Christ. Remember chapter three? It's important. You are clothed in Christ. When you put your faith in him, you are clothed in Christ, which means when God looks at you, he no longer sees you, he sees his son instead. You're clothed in Christ. You don't have to hide from him. He loves you, you're covered. Don't be a child of Hagar, be free. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we fall short of your mark, the law, the the holiness that you demand of us. We confess that we've judged others for falling short of it too, even though we can't measure up ourselves. Lord, free us from the comparisons that we so often make to help ourselves feel more chosen. Give us the courage, Lord, to be children of freedom. Give Give us the courage to surrender at your feet all the qualifications that we think we have and to surrender at your feet all the sins that we've tried to hide in exchange for our Christ-colored garment. Remind us that none, of our, that none of us stands so tall that we are above your grace and none of us has stooped so low that we are beyond its reach. Thank you, Jesus, for making us children of God through your sacrifice. And we pray this in your precious and holy name, amen.